So our next topic is related to the uh, adsorbed water and, and uh, hydroxyl on the moon, and this is important for understanding the mobility of, of uh, lunar water. And uh, most of this uh, short course has been discussion of the polar cold traps. Um, and as you know, there's another potential sink um, or source for water at the lower latitudes. And so Jean-Philippe Combe, <coughs> who is working with Tom McCord at the uh, Verified Institute, is going to tell us about some results from M-cubed and models. Thank you, Paul. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm going to take this uh, opportunity to talk a bit more about uh, the infrared spectroscopy um, because uh, Tom and I have been uh, part of the M-Cube team and uh, we are still uh, working on the, on the data. Uh, so this is the outline of uh, my presentation from the distribution of uh, volatiles to the variations of the signal and I'm going to make the distinction between the variations of the signal and uh, the interpretation, interpretation of the mobility of uh, volatiles. So prior to the observations, um, uh, there have been models for the presence of volatiles at the surface of the moon as early as uh, 1961 by Watson et al. And uh, so I'm going to talk about, uh, to present background uh, information about uh, elemental hydrogen and uh, before coming to uh, infrared spectroscopy and the distribution of uh, OH and H2O because I want to uh, compare uh, the two types of uh, results. Uh, first, this is a background slide about uh, neutron spectroscopy. So briefly, um, the um, elemental uh, nuclei of the on lunar materials are excited by galactic cosmic rays that produce fast energy neutrons. And these neutrons lose their energy from collisions with other elements. And the range of energies we measure for the hydrogen is called epithermal neutrons. And the rate of energy loss uh, of epithermal neutrons is sensitive to the uh, abundance of uh, hydrogen. And what is important to, uh, to know uh, in this kind of measurements is that uh, neutrons flux integrates uh, the sources uh, within the one meter below the surface, which is very different from near-infrared uh, spectroscopy. This is a background slide about uh, near infrared spectroscopy. What we measure here is uh, photons, um, and uh, the photons from the sun that are reflected by the surface. And uh, spectra represent the proportion of uh, light, for example, this one, proportion of light reflected uh, uh, by the surface as a function of uh, wavelength. And the unit is uh, either reflectance or I over F, which is the reflectance factor here. Um, the spectra, so uh, these spectra have uh, local minima, just as, for example, here. And uh, this is called an absorption band. And it is sensitive to the molecular uh, composition, the uh, molecular bonds, actually. OH and H2O have 
an absorption band very broad and asymmetric at uh, 3 micrometers, actually between 2.7 and 3.5 micrometers. And I'm going to talk uh, more about this absorption band. Um, depending on the vibration mode of the molecular bond and the type of uh, constituent, for example, uh, between H2O ice and absorb, adsorb uh, H2O, the shape of the bond uh, vary. The, the, the spectrum, the spectra on the left are laboratory spectra. Uh, on the right, all these spectra are uh, lunar spectra taken from orbit and from three different instruments. Uh, the first one um, is a M cube data set. So the moon mineralogy mapper, which stops at three micrometers, so right inside the band of uh, OH and uh, H2O. So that's, that makes uh, the analysis uh, a bit challenging. But we do observe the, the first uh, part of the absorption band. Other instruments, such as the uh, um, spectrometer on the Deep Impact mission and uh, VIMS on Cassini have also observed this absorption band. And we have here the entire Ranger wavelengths. Um, oh, I, yeah, I, just I would like to mention there is also an absorption band here that is due to uh, pyroxene. It's a component of a basalt, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later. So that was the first detection of OH or H2O at the surface of the moon from near infrared spectroscopy. Um, after this uh, first detection, there have been uh, investigation of the character of the variations of this absorption band in M-cube data. And as you can see, sometimes we have a narrow band here and sometimes it's much broader. So that could be the possibility of making the distinction between uh, OH and uh, adsorbed uh, H2O. Um, so we have made this uh, analysis uh, where, uh, well, for example, here on the lower left, we have a 2D scatter plot of the 3 Marcon band as a function of the 2.8 Marcon band, just to measure the shape um, of this band. And, well, there is a diffuse correlation with different regimes of positive correlation, for example, this one here, this one here, this one here. Um, these uh, plots are fun um, function of latitude, and uh, in both cases, 2.8 micron, 3 micron, we have variations as a function of latitude, a minimum of the absorption at the equator and maximum near the poles. So this is uh, consistent with higher abundance of volatiles uh, um, near the poles. Um, but this is not a formal, this is not a real demonstration that we can make the distinction between H2O and OH. So we have to be aware of this. There is a complex uh, variability in this region, but that may not be due to the different types of uh, constituents. Um, so um, in the ultraviolet 
there have been also detection of uh, H2O. So this is the same principle than, than uh, in the near-infrared. It's also reflectance. But the absorption band in this case is here at uh, 165, uh, 175 nanometers. And this is um, models of uh, mixed spectra with the content of H2O. And uh, the spectra on the left are actual uh, spectra from the moon that show also this absorption band. And the absorption band is uh, deeper on, on uh, lunar highlands than on Mare basalts. So this is consistent with the observations on the near infrared. Now we'd like to make a comparison between the observations from neutron spectroscopy and from the near infrared. So these are two global maps, hydrogen map and uh, OH, H2O from the near-infrared on the right. There are uh, similarities. Uh, for example, the enhancement of volatiles at uh, poles. This is similar in both maps. Also, the variation as a function of latitude. This uh, lower left graph is a neutron count as a function of latitude, which is the opposite as the hydrogen uh, content. And this is similar to the uh, depth of the OH bound at three micrometers. However, there are significant differences, such as, uh, well, in the near infrared, there is a strong dichotomy between highlands that are all blue here and Mare basalt that are darker region and that are, uh, um, well, do not have uh, an absorption bond in this, uh, in this case. Um, this dichotomy is also illustrated by this 2D scatter plot here. This is the absorption bound uh, at three micrometers as a function of the pyroxene absorption bound. And there is this anti-correlation that uh, is uh, consistent with the dichotomy on the map. This is very different from the elemental composition, especially in the Mare basalt uh, there is a very complex distribution in the hydrogen uh, content here. So, um, well, we have talked uh, a lot about uh, polar regions already. This is just an illustration of the maps of elemental hydrogen from two different spacecraft at almost two decades uh, apart, and the highest content of hydrogen is uh, observed in uh, permanently shadowed uh, regions. There have been, well, investigations of this uh, polar regions in the near infrared also, but only from uh, L-cross. And it's not an observation of the surface, it's observation of the plume following the impact. So it's a little bit different from uh, what has been mapped in the near infrared and from other regions. However, there is, uh, well, these spectra taken at different times after the impact have been interpreted in terms of presence of H2O, especially because of absorption bands at 1.4 micrometers and 1.9 micrometers. Right. Um, in the near infrared, we have uh, some significant limitations for mapping uh, volatiles because we use the solar illumination reflected by the surface. Well, 
at the poles and especially in permanently shadowed regions, by definition, we don't have a direct uh, solar illumination. So we don't have uh, the, the signal is not uh, good enough for uh, interpretation of the spectra. And it's uh, different from uh, images of uh, high resolution cameras we have seen earlier, where we can see some details uh, of the topography uh, in the deep shadow uh, regions, uh, but we don't have similar data set in uh, uh, near infrared uh, spectroscopy. Um, so now I'm going to talk about variations of the signal and uh, or further uh, limitations in the interpretation, interpretation of the data. Uh, the first uh, investigation has been made from um, data uh, acquired by the Deep Impact mission. We have seen this morning uh, spectra acquired uh, at noon and the evening of the Schremer-Kron band uh, absorption band. The graph on the right shows the depth of the band as a function of lunar local time of day. And we see the variation. The band is uh, the most uh, shallow at uh, noon, lunar local time. So this is a suggestion of temporal variations of the band and therefore of the uh, content of uh, H2O and OH. Well. Um, in the near-infrared, uh, we have to be careful about uh, this, uh, uh, such uh, variations. And I'm going to first focus on the spectra on the right here. Uh, this is uh, M-cube spectra. So the actual M-cube uh, spectrum is a white one here that shows the absorption band at three micrometers. Um, when the surface is illuminated, is, it becomes uh, very hot, and therefore our thermal emission starts to contribute significantly to the signal. And this is a model uh, simulation of thermal emission contribution. Uh, so you see uh, it becomes uh, significant at three uh, micrometers. And it's additive to the reflectance. So when the thermal contribution is added to the MQB spectrum, it becomes the spectrum in cyan here. And it almost fills completely the absorption band of, uh, at uh, three micrometers. Therefore, when uh, the surface is rich in volatiles, uh, there is an underestimate of the thermal contribution, and therefore there is an underestimate of the absorption band at three micrometers. So uh, we underestimate the uh, content of uh, volatiles. And it's uh, very challenging to make uh, an accurate correction in this render wavelength because the instrument stops at streamer commenters. We don't have the other part of the, the absorption band. So we need uh, independent modeling of the thermal contribution. And this is a topic I'm working uh, at the moment, but I'm not completely done yet. Um, the, on the left, I'm trying to illustrate the consequences of this uh, thermal contribution. So th this first set, set of spectra are two spectra of the same region acquired, acquired in the morning and in the afternoon. So you see variations in the character of this uh, streamer bond. And the cyan spectrum here is a ratio of those two spectra. And you see the shape of the ratio is very similar to the shape of a thermal emission. 
So the previous attempt we made on the characterizing the diversity of the shape in this uh, range of wavelengths might be simply due to thermal emission contribution. Fortunately, we have counterexamples of this. Uh, this is a similar uh, type of uh, ratio, um, morning and afternoon spectra, and ratio of the two. Well, we see also this upward uh, spectrum here that looks like a thermal emission contribution. However, we have also this pink <coughs> here. We have a kind of a, a breaking point here um, that might be due to, um, that might not be due to thermal emission, and therefore it could be due to uh, variations in uh, the contents of uh, H2O. So we have a, a few examples like this where, uh, well, with MQ we can um, detect variations that might be consistent with uh, observations by uh, the epoxy uh, mission. All right. Um, there have been similar um, investigation of temporal variations in the uh, ultraviolet as well with a lamp um, uh, instrument. So again, this is the absorption band of H2O and the slope between 165 and 175 nanometers is very sensitive to the absorption band of H2O. And this is a slope and this is a slope here. And so this one is for uh, variations as a function of latitude and we see the slope um, becomes more positive uh, as the latitude uh, increases. So this is consistent with the results from the near-infrared. The, spec the spectra in the middle are for uh, diurnal variations. So these are four spectra acquired at four different beta angles. The beta angle is uh, sensitive to, well, is a function of uh, the uh, lunar local time of day. So zero beta angle is for noon lo uh, lunar local time. And at noon, the slope is the most negative. So it's when the bond is the uh, weakest. And uh, for the largest beta angles, the slope is the most uh, positive. So this is consistent with uh, diurnal variations of the H2O uh, content. However, I'm going to uh, present another effect that may uh, limit the interpretation of, this, uh, um, of these variations. I'm going to talk about photometric effects. Uh, the photometry is due to variations of the geometry of illumination and observation. So this is an illustration with uh, M-cube data again, but this works on, uh, similarly in the ultraviolet. So the first row is uh, data from acquired uh, in the morning, and the second row is the same region. You can recognize the crater here with the illumination, uh, well, in the afternoon. So the, the sun illuminates from the, um, from the left in the afternoon and from the right in the morning. So this is just reflectant. The first column is reflectant. The second column is a absorption band depth at three micrometers, and it shows very strong variations. And as a test, I mapped the absorption band depth of pyroxene. 
So we don't expect the content of a puzzle to vary as a function of illumination. Uh, and we do see in the absorption band depths, we do see strong variations. And these variations are very similar to what we observed at three micrometers. So this illustrates a strong photometric effect that we have to correct uh, in order to interpret variations as a function of uh, time of day. Well, uh, at three micrometers, this is very challenging to do because we have to remember that uh, the thermal contribution is very significant also. And in order to develop a photometric correction, we need a thermal correction. And for the thermal correction, we also need a photometric correction. So the two uh, types of corrections depend from each other. And the, uh, um, there have been several uh, groups of uh, researchers that have worked on this topic and in order to develop an independent uh, models for uh, corrections. But uh, all these models uh, have, uh, still have uh, serious issues. I'm, I'm working on, on this topic uh, at the moment. Um, well, I talked a lot about limitations in the near-infrared. Uh, well, there are also um, positive aspects. But limitations also exist with other uh, uh, measurements, such as the elemental hydrogen. For example, we cannot, well, I'm not aware of any uh, investigations from uh, temporal variations uh, of elemental hydrogen. And it's maybe simply because it's not possible. The neutron flux is so low that uh, we have to integrate over a very low, uh, long period of time uh, in order to acquire uh, some uh, um, enough signal. And furthermore, neutron flux uh, is integrated over uh, one meter below the surface. And uh, uh, this um, um, large uh, distance may be uh, enough to smooth out any uh, variations, diurnal variations. Now I'm going to talk about uh, models for the uh, origins and delivery of volatiles at the surface. Um, I'm going to make the distinction between models of delivery of volatiles and uh, models of uh, distribution at the surface. Um, there are three main models to explain the presence of water and, H and uh, OH at the surface of the moon. One is a uh, implantation of protons from the solar wind. The second is a uh, infall of meteorites and comets that are rich in volatiles. And the third one is endogenic uh, volatiles. None of these uh, models explain the distribution of uh, volatiles that we observe. And uh, for example, this map here is uh, an illustration of the flux of, of solar wind particles that uh, reach the surface of the moon at a given time. And the flux is the highest at the equator, and in this case, uh, well, for the sun-facing uh, area. And this is different from uh, the distribution of volatiles that uh, we observe at the surface, where we have enhanced hydrogen at the poles. So that illustrates that uh, the models to explain the, uh, the origin of volatiles, the presence of volatiles at the surface of the moon have to be distinguished from the models that explain the distribution of volatiles at the surface of the moon. That's why I'm going to talk about briefly about the origins of volatiles and then 
at the end of the presentation about the mobility of the volatiles. Um, all right, the, the first uh, model is about the implantations of protons from the solar wind. The, surf, the material, lunar material at the surface undergoes um, constant uh, micrometeorite uh, bombardments that uh, damage the molecular bonds and therefore uh, minerals may have a dangling O minus bonds that may accept any uh, positively uh, charged particles from the, from the solar wind in order and uh, especially protons to form OH. And the cartoon at the right here, lower right, illustrates uh, um, the uh, oxygen with uh, arms wide open that may accept uh, uh, an incoming proton to form OH. Um, furthermore, well, okay. So this idea has been um, thought uh, very early, uh, already, uh, already in the 1960s, and it has been uh, at the time simulated in the laboratory uh, by bombarding uh, a surface of silicate uh, by uh, protons. And this is uh, absorption band of, uh, at uh, three micrometers. And uh, the absorption band uh, increases as a function of the flux of proton. And this graph illustrates uh, the increase of the absorption band as a function of flux. The solar wind uh, particles uh, and the micrometeorite bombardment uh, um, may uh, vaporize some um, elements and some uh, groups of molecules such as native uh, iron and SeO2. And when uh, these constituents um, vaporize, then they uh, may uh, form uh, deposits, very dark deposits at the surface of the, of the moon. And uh, that is part of what we call the space, uh, space weathering and, uh, and uh, maturation of the surface. And this illustrates the, uh, possibly the importance of the solar wind um, to explain the presence of OH. There are uh, areas on the moon that have um, strong uh, magnetic uh, anomalies that are on the map here. And um, some of these uh, magnetic anomalies are associated to areas uh, called swirls that appear uh, very contrasted bright and, and dark. And uh, the bright areas uh, have, um, will appear uh, depleted in uh, OH, as seen on the uh, bottom here. Um, and they also appear uh, um, optically uh, immature. So uh, that is consistent with, that supports uh, fully the model of uh, the, the, the role of the solar wind in the formation of OH. The second model is, uh, I'm going to be brief here, is about um, uh, infalling comets and meteorites. Again, the, solar, uh, the swirls have been uh, chosen to illustrate the role of comets to explain the, the strange shape of the lunar swirls. Uh, that may not be the, uh, that may be a little bit outdated uh, today. However, there are still investigations about the flux of um, incoming uh, comets and meteorites in order to explain the, the amount of volatiles that uh, are observed today at the surface of the moon. Uh, 
And uh, this has to be also compared with, uh, with Vesta, where uh, the, the maps of volatiles are more consistent with uh, infalling comets and, and um, um, Copernicus chondrite uh, meteorites. So this um, mode of delivery uh, may also exist at the surface of the moon. Uh, well, finally, this is about uh, endogenic uh, water uh, um, observed from uh, the analysis of uh, minerals and uh, higher contents of H2O at the core of uh, grains of minerals than at the, at the rim that may suggest uh, outgassing uh, of H2O. Um, so, the three main mechanisms that uh, have been uh, that we have thought about right um, all these mechanisms uh, may uh, exist uh, and uh, they may uh, we may need all of them to explain the presence of uh, volatiles at the surface of the moon um, now I'm going to finish my talk with uh, the mobility of water um, at the surface of the moon we know there is water, or OH, at the surface of the moon, but uh, none of the um, models that uh, I just talked about explain the distribution. They, they just explain the presence of water. And we have to consider that uh, water, or OH, is transported from the point where they are delivered at the surface to the regions they are observed at the moment. And this uh, illustration by uh, Krider and Vondrak illustrates uh, different processes that um, the molecules OH and H2O molecules may undergo from the delivery. Uh, the H2O may be uh, dissolved, dissolved uh, yes, by, uh, due to um, uh, variations of temperature. And when H2O is uh, released, it may it uh, goes it, it's exposed to the space environment. It may be uh, dissociated and, and subsequently uh, lost. And uh, it, uh, some of these molecules may reach the surface again through uh, ballistic um, uh, trajectories, and uh, subsequently uh, they may uh, become stable at the surface uh, by condensation on uh, cold traps. So that's one uh, model of uh, lateral transport. And there have been also uh, modeling of uh, vertical uh, transport to explain the survi survival of uh, molecules uh, at the surface or at the subsurface um, of, the, of the moon. So I think I'm going to finish my talk uh, soon here. Um, the slide I, I had were just to illustrate uh, in more detail what I, what I just explained about uh, the stability of, uh, um, of uh, H2O, the way it is uh, absorbed and the way it can be released in order to explain the uh, transport of the molecules from the equator to the poles. And uh, so we have seen this plot already this morning. This is a, um, the contribution of molecules from low latitude that uh, uh, contribute to the volatile content 
at higher uh, latitudes. And this is an other model, uh, but this is different. This is for the vertical migration of H2O. Uh, so that explains uh, the, um, how molecules uh, may survive at the surface of the moon or maybe uh, subsequently buried in, uh, beneath the surface and uh, therefore uh, be present for long times. So this is a summary of um, what I uh, just explained. So I'm going to leave this uh, slide uh, when, uh, if you have questions. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>